So we, I mean, we know that women, I mean, it's no news on this podcast, <laughs> you know, women are so suited for leadership in so many realms and that, but sometimes it takes us kind of reconceptualizing what our mental framework, our schema of what leadership looks like for us to even recognize that. Like the drive to excel and achieve um, can be kind of so all-encompassing that I know that there have been times in my life where I wanted to advance like within an organization um, so badly and was working so tirelessly to do that and but in the midst of that never really like stepped back and thought about like what was the reason that I wanted to advance like what what was I envisioning that I would be able to accomplish or how did it sort of like fit within my value system welcome to the mother honestly podcast this is your host blessing addition founder and CEO of Mother Honestly. On this show, we interview ambitious women that are thriving in and beyond motherhood. Expect honest and real conversations that will encourage and inspire you to take actions on your dreams. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mother Honestly podcast. I am Kristen Hall. I am the COO of Mother Honestly and your host for today's episode. And joining me today is Dr. Ashley Solomon, a licensed clinical psychologist and founder of Galia, Galia, pardon me, collaborative, an organization dedicated to helping female identified people heal, grow, and lead. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today. Hope you're having a great start to your day and would love for you to tell me a little bit more of your work and what you drew you into this field and kind of what you've been up to. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here on the podcast. I'm super excited about it. Um, so as as you mentioned, um, I have an organization called Gallia Collaborative, and its focus is really elevating the impact of women through supporting their mental health and mental strength. So I'm a clinical psychologist. I got into this work um, a long time ago and have been um, specializing in women's mental health uh, throughout my career. I really started in uh, the treatment, particularly of eating disorders. And in, I love that work so much because I got to work with such interesting, talented, high potential girls and women. Um, you know, side note, of course, men struggle with eating disorders too, but about 95% of the people that I worked with um, were, were women. Sure. And I had to work with these amazing people who were suffering from this awful illness um, that was so tied into the expectations that we have for girls and women in our culture. And they were just riddled with um, these, these rules and ideas about what they were meant to be. And it was so such an amazing experience to get to work to liberate them from, from some of this. And I would get to see them through to the other side of that. And what we would often find is that even though the eating disorder symptomology was gone, uh, a lot of those thought patterns still remained and they would get into their feelings about, you know, raising a family or being a um, person in the, the working world. And so, so over time, you know, my work really shifted to wanting to create an opportunity for 
women and girls to access resources that supported their mental health um, so that they could play bigger in the world um, and not have their, their voices limited by some of their own really limiting beliefs and, and the messages that they were getting from our culture. So that's what I've been really focused on for the last couple of years is building this organization that makes um, women's health, women's mental health information and resources really accessible and just relevant to, to people's lives. Yes, that's such an amazing topic, one that I'm sure goes very deep into what you've studied initially out of your career to where you are right now. Um, and as we're seeing, I think, you know, mental health, mental health stigmas, those anything like that, we're having much more of an awakening, I think, in addressing that we oftentimes don't have adequate resources to support those around us. And you've done a ton of research. Right. You know, what are you seeing right now in the field of research or that is most resonating with you or anyone that you're working with? Yeah, I I think what I find myself really drawn to in the research right now is the way that, and, and really where the, the research that I've done in the past has been mostly sociocultural research. So um, for example, you know, the, the my early research was on developing programs to help um, support women and girls in their um, their literacy and understanding of the media that they would be taking in. Um, so really looking at kind of what the relationship between the external world and the culture is on our kind of internal worlds and psyches. And so what I am really fascinated by now is um, research about how different systems of oppression um, impact on our individual mental health. And I think we're really kind of culturally waking up to that, including you know, the oppression that women, especially women of color, um, disabled women, et cetera, really face as they're um, trying to find their places in the world and, and have equal treatment. And particularly my, my, one of my big areas of, of interest is in um, people of size, so in larger bodies, um, and how women are responded to and treated when they're in bodies that might not sort of conform to the, you know, cultural ideal and how they kind of navigate that internal weight stigma, um, how they advocate for themselves in the workplace, um, all of that kind of stuff. And what we know from that is that, you know, discrimination for people in larger bodies is, um, it's rampant. It's actually, there's higher rates of discrimination for, um, or it's more acceptable to be discriminatory towards people of larger body sizes than it is based on race, gender, other areas of difference. Hmm. Uh, and so that's really something that we need to dig into um, because it, it certainly affects our mental health and the way that women in diverse bodies sort of show up, you know, in, you know, politics, workplaces, just sort of in the public spaces of our lives. That's amazing, and I think it's not something that I would have thought of initially, but I love that you've shared that with, especially the the terminology yeah. even diverse bodies. I think for as much as mm-hmm. I do reading of that, that's not something I've necessarily seen in it. You know, it's good to have these discussions because even now I'm going to kind of address the language in which I use of saying, you know, yeah. diverse bodies as opposed to, you know, stick to anything kind of different of that. So I like that mm-hmm. terminology. And one thing that I noticed from reading about your work and that stuck out to me um, is you also do as well for – you help with leadership roles and you help with um, supporting female identified, not only challenging points mm-hmm. in their life, but in the leadership coaching as well. What does that look like? And does it differ from the work that you're doing or how, how could you expand upon that for me? 
Sure. Yeah. So I, so one of the things that I found, even, even though I've been in the healthcare world throughout my career, um, in my previous life before running the organization I run now, I you know, worked in a very corporate environment. And one of the things that I continually ran into, especially as a, um, a newer career person, was an interest in really seeking out opportunities to develop my own leadership skills. And the response that I often got was that, you know, uh, eventually, like as I sort of rose in the ranks, I might have access to things like executive coaching um, or leadership seminars. And eventually I did, you know, I was fortunate enough to do that, but um, I just kept, even, even once I was able to access some of those resources, I felt like um, I was able to reflect on the fact that if I had, had those earlier in my career, what a difference that would have made, like what, what, a, what barriers I might not have encountered or been able to navigate a little bit better. And so, you know, as I really thought about, you know, developing this organization that was focused on supporting women's mental strength and wellness, I, I knew that I wanted to incorporate this idea of how do we um, give access, especially earlier in people's careers to both the internal tools that, that go to someone's um, ability to, you know, regulate their emotions, understand their kind of relational patterns. How does that all show up in the workplace? Um, and, and those external, more external facing skills. Um, so the coaching that I, so I, I do coaching and leadership seminars and things like that focused on, um, supporting women's leadership that, that because of my background in part um, as a psychologist, we really start from the psychological and work outward. So developing those uh, self-reflection tools so that I understand what my motivations, my drives, my vulnerabilities are, and then how can I show up in more effective ways once I'm more aware of some of those things. Um, so it's really like one of my very favorite things to do. That's amazing. And I think that's, you, you touch on a really great point. And it's one that I've had recent conversations with just people within my corporate life, as well as kind of my other sectors of my life about, you know, what are we doing for women and how are we encouraging them to be successful and continuing for them to be successful, whatever that, you know, I put a caveat with that, whatever success looks like for you individually. But right. especially in the corporate world, you know, we don't necessarily give women the same um, executive coaching that we do for men. And how do we address that gap? And how do we help, um, A, advocating for ourselves, but also I find that, and I'm sure from your research I'd love to hear, you know, sometimes women are our own worst critics of one another, and we're not necessarily, especially on the corporate side, as encouraging and supportive as we could be. It's viewed more as, you know, a contradiction of your success limits my success. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, to, to one of the things you were, were just saying, I think that, um, you're right, we don't give women and especially women sort of earlier on in their careers access to some of the support and, um, and that's really crucial. And then we see these gaps, um, gaps in, you know, um, hiring to a management level position, et cetera. And we, you know, and there's lots of reasons for that. It's not, it's certainly not just that, you know, women are lacking the leadership skills. That's certainly not the case, sure. um, but we can, we can really set women up to 
um, be in a much better position and even know how to advocate for themselves with regard to, to these issues and then get into roles in which they can really change the systems and policies, of course, if we allow some of this access earlier on. Um, so, and I think that you're, I think the idea um, about women often being their own worst critics is, is so spot on. Um, and I think that it's important for us to acknowledge that that comes from, you know, the internalization of, of, of course, lots and lots of, you know, negative impressions and what we see and ways that we um, kind of learn to evaluate our own behavior and, you know, the places where we're weak. Um, I feel like I see this. I mean, it's so interesting when you go back to just like what happens in the classroom and how kids, whether they're boys or girls or otherwise are responded to when they can't figure something out and are they encouraged to like keep working it through um, versus not. So, so we, I mean, we know that women, I mean, it's no news on this podcast that, you know, women are so suited for leadership in so many realms and that but sometimes it takes us kind of reconceptualizing what our mental framework, our schema of what leadership looks like for us to even recognize that. So I love it. I think you hit on three really great points. I think initially as moms, um, what would you, what, what should we be telling our children? How should we help change mm -hmm. that rhetoric in the classroom? And then I'd also like to pick your brain in that statement of, okay, you're going to have a lot of listeners today that are either up and coming in their careers or looking to make that jump. Um, and then I think, you know, the always important topic that we've really been touching on lately with moms is, you know, how do you handle the mom guilt? This internal, continuous thing that we hear from so many women in the mother honest community is that they're struggling with, you know, doing it all. And we're trying to kind of change that rhetoric in and of itself is that doing it all looks different for everyone. So the first one I would say, you know, what, yeah. what do we tell our kids? How do we have these mm -hmm. conversations and change the rhetoric? What can we do? Yeah. Yeah, that's near and dear to my heart. So I have four four kiddos, but they um, first three of them are boys. And the first thing I would actually say is that sometimes in these conversations about like how do we raise resilient, um, you know, future women, and how do we like create a you know a society where girls feel like they can do it all? I think it. Um, I I also don't want us to forget the boys, yes. meaning yeah. that the boys are one. They have a lot of their own needs too, but they're going to have to be part of creating this world that's supportive and um, has gender diversity and honors gender diversity. Like they have as much of a responsibility as, you know, raising these strong girls is to teach boys how to recognize, um, you know, when things are not uh, accurate or fair. And so in some ways I, I, when I had my, my first three boys and then my baby as a little girl, but when I had my first three boys, I, um, said like my my feminist mission was to raise these like conscious little guys because um, you know I had had some disappointment as this lifelong feminist of like oh where's this girl that I'm gonna raise to be this like amazing trailblazer and then I kind of come to this idea that okay actually my mission in life is to to create boys that really support um, the work of women but but I think as moms to me, some of the biggest things that we can do are to, you know, cultivate persistence. Um, and I think that that looks like, um, you know, encouraging, encouraging kids to like step beyond what they're, 
what the kind of the limits of their own minds have set out for themselves. So when that, you know, if they feel like, and, and of course I think we need to do that in a, you know, a way that's individualized to that kid and understanding that, that child sort of capacity and what their limitations are, but to sort of challenge them like just beyond that and to help them deal with, you know, the frustration that comes from not being able to get something right. So like in my house, we talk a lot about, um, a lot about our failures and what didn't go well. Um, and first, and we do not do this perfectly by the way, of course, but, um, but we try to emphasize those things rather than like always sharing the good news. For example, we share the things that maybe we tried and didn't work out, um, or the things that we tried and really wanted to give up on and how we worked through that. So, and I think that kind of speaks to another point, which is that it's, it's, often like less about what we say and more about like what we do and what we model. Um, so I think like kindness and compassion for ourselves is a big thing. And that sort of gets into even the mom, the mom guilt, you know, conversation that sure. if we can kind of acknowledge that, you know, I feel, I feel really sad about like, if this is a conversation with my kid, I feel really sad that I can't be, you know, at this event for you. Um, and this is, um, you know, and I feel sometimes like I wish that I could really, you know, do more than I'm doing. You know, I think modeling that, um, that opportunity to reflect on how we feel um, and, but, sh but in that process, kind of showing compassion for ourselves um, can have a really significant impact on the way that they then, the voice that they internalize as kind of commenting on their own stuff when things like don't go right or they feel sad or disappointed about something gives them kind of like a a, a, a verbal template if you will for like how to describe that which can be really powerful I love that and I um I am a mom to a son as well and one that we are working mm -hmm. through as a four-year-old his you know how do you convey emotions and how do you explain emotional mm -hmm. intelligence so I like that you frame it as a verbal template um, mm -hmm. I always say during these podcast recordings, I'm furiously writing notes as I love listening to everyone <laughs> and what they have. So I'm like, oh, I'm on the page two already. Oh, um, I do that too when I listen to the episodes. Like, what do I need to follow up on? Yep. No, I love it. So I, I appreciate for that. And I think you touched on the mom yeah. a little bit. But then, you know, turning yeah. inside to, you know, what's going on with those that are still, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are entrepreneurial, that are kind of on their own individualists, mm -hmm. but then we still have a lot that are in that corporate framework um, that are trying to balance it there and really have these growth opportunities in what mm -hmm. I would call the corporate side of things. Um, it works yeah. both ways. It cuts both ways, depending on how you view it. I always, you know, caveat there. But what are you mm -hmm. seeing for those that are kind of in it right now with their careers? Um, what would you recommend for them? What can they kind of take on? You, I'd like that you talked about a little bit earlier, you know, evaluating, giving people what motivates, what drives them. Um, mm -hmm. But what do you see the most that we can kind of impart quickly for our listeners in that field? Yeah. I'm going to say something that I think is I'm – I'm surprised that I'm saying this. It's not normally what I would say, but it's, I guess, what's on my mind or heart right now. But I think one thing I think that we don't talk about enough is um, like going back to that idea of, of being really self-reflective and understanding, yes, what like motivates and drives us and how does that actually like connect to our values? Because I think, I mean, this is definitely the place that I've been in and I don't know if others may, might 
see in this place too, where like the drive to excel and achieve um, can be kind of so all encompassing that I know that there have been times in my life where I wanted to advance like within an organization um, so badly and was working so tirelessly to do that. And, but in the midst of that, never really like stepped back and thought about like, what was the reason that I wanted to advance? Like what, what was I envisioning that I would be able to accomplish or how did it sort of like fit within my value system um, or my kind of internal purpose to be able to advance? And what I think at certain points I figured out kind of the hard way was that it, that advancing in some, um, like to some certain roles actually was like taking me further away from what was really driving me and keeping me kind of engaged in the work that I was doing, or it was really because I wanted to have an impact on something that then when I was able to get into that position, I realized that wasn't the best way for me to have an impact on this. So I, um, I hope this is making sense, but I think it like is. No, absolutely. Pausing, pausing long enough, um, kind of in that pursuit to do that inner work to understand what is it that I want and how does that kind of fit with my core, you know, the purpose that I see for myself and my life um, is so valuable. And that, that definitely may be uh, towards, you know, kind of the traditional advancement within an organization. But if you have that clarity of purpose, like if you've done that work and pause long enough to figure that out and then have that clarity of purpose, that's going to then be communicated so much more clearly to, you know, the powers that be. Um, and it's going to show up in your work in, you know, really obvious ways. So I think it's just really worth doing some of that inner work kind of in the midst of what can be just like the quote unquote rat race. And you can feel like between like home and life and work, like there's not a minute to think. Um, but that thinking time and reflection time can be well worth it. Absolutely. And I like how you frame it as clarity of purpose, because I think a lot of times we go with this idea of what we we should be doing or what society mm-hmm. tells us where and how we should be doing. But to give ourselves the ability to have that self-reflection and really kind of have that honest, which sometimes can be tough, conversation mm-hmm. with ourselves of, well, what really does motivate me and what is right. driving me to do this? Um, you know, then that can be a lot of different things. But oftentimes we silence that voice. Um, mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, and it's understanding, you know, well, why, what's going on. So I think that's a great one mm-hmm. for anyone, regardless of where you are. You know, take a moment and kind of determine what your clarity of purpose is, what you're, you're self-reflecting. This is something that Blessing and I often have, you know, discussions on. I always laugh that Blessing has these great, the ginormous ideas of where we're going and how we're going, and I'm the calming uh-huh. force for her. I'm sometimes saying, okay, you know, what's that? But going back and kind of clarifying what, what are we doing and what are we up to and why are we doing it? And it, is it aligning with your values and what you really want to be at the end of the day? Right. So I love Absolutely. that. So tell me what's coming up for you in 2020. What are you working on in mm-hmm. within your organization? Um, yeah, um, it's a big year. This is, this is really just our second full year, will be our second full year um, in operation. So you know, we, we're a young organization and we are adding to our team in the next month, um, moving into a bigger space to be able to provide some more in-person services. We're based in Cincinnati, um, but we're really working on expanding our kind of virtual 
options and digital courses. Um, so again, like I was saying earlier, what I want to do is to make mental health access, which can be such a, there's so many huge barriers for people to access mental health support in our system. It's just, there's so many, um, you know, parts of the system that aren't working and a lack of providers, et cetera, et cetera, that I'm, I'm trying to think creatively about how do we help women who need, you know, real-time support, can't be on a waiting list for months, can't, um, you know, drive across town to get support. How do we get mental health help into their hands um, in accessible and relevant ways? Um, and that they don't feel like, you know, they have to wait until they are experiencing like a significant depression, even though 20% of women per like every year will have, you know, a depression or anxiety diagnosis. But um, even if they don't, but they feel like they're heading that way, that they can do things to help support their mental health. So we're hoping to do that. We have things called circles. Um, there's nothing, I mean, if there's one kind of mental health prevention strategy, that I advocate for, it's surrounding yourself with supportive people. And um, so we've created something called Circles, which are these online, small, intentionally small communities of women that come together around a particular topic area, whether it's postpartum or growing a health business or um, you know, uh, navigating midlife transitions um, that are coming together for a series of weeks to really kind of dig into things together as a community. And then we're hoping by the end of this year to really build out some um, digital resources that can be more like on demand because we know that, you know, if you have 20 minutes in the middle of the night while you're feeding the baby, um, it can be good to think about what can you do for your mental health. So, so those are the things that are on deck for this year for us. I love it. I think it's so needed, so, so needed. And you've hit on so many topics that I know are resonating not only with myself, but I'm sure with other listeners. How can people find out more? Um, what's the best way to connect with you directly? Yeah, best way is um, probably through Instagram. So at Gallia Collaborative um, on Instagram or our website, which is galliacollaborative.com. Awesome. And before we go, is there anything personally that you're working on? I always like to kind of do that. We have our career focus that we're saying, you know, this is what we're doing mm -hmm. thing. But for you in 2020, it's a big year. Um, you know, what's anything personal you'd like to share for you or your family that you have that you're looking to focus on this year? Yeah. Oh, so we just moved into a new house, which we were not expecting to do. Um, we thought we'd be in our, our old house like forever. And then this situation just came upon us for this opportunity to get this great old, old, old house that oh, now needs a ton of work and I have a newborn still. And so my, my like personal work in 2020 is to, um, like build a space, renovate the space to have the space of calm, which is kind of a joke <laughs> given our four kids, but, um, to create as much calm as possible kind of in our new space and settle into it while, you know, meeting all the needs that are going on. So we're right in the midst of like rewiring this house right now. So I'm going a little bit crazy, but that is, it's a good time to practice mindfulness and all of that good stuff when you have like no control over what lights you can turn on. Oh, but yeah, the that's a big, that's a big project that you have on your hands, yeah. but I know I bet it's a beautiful house and I, you Thank know, sometimes you. those opportunities, you know, they fall and it's, it's the right opportunity. I know. Yep. You just gotta what, do it. You gotta jump on it. 
Ashley, thank you so, so much for joining us today on the podcast. Um, I always, yeah, my sheet is full of wonderful tips. I look forward to watching your expansion, not only out of Cincinnati, but into the digital field a little bit more. I will definitely be following you on Instagram um, and seeing in what you have and what you're growing. I love that. So thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day um, and can't wait to see what you guys get up to for the rest of the year and beyond. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Okay. Thank you. Have a great day and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Mother Honestly podcast. If you want more of what we're talking about, head to motherhonestly.com for relevant content for mothers at work, in business, and those figuring out their next steps. Mother the Summit 2020 will be here before you know it. Save the date in your calendar for October 1st and 2nd at the Brooklyn Expo Center, New York, where 1,000 plus women will rise together in motherhood. I'm asking you for a favor. Please rate and review our podcast. Your reviews help us grow, and we love growing here at Mother Honestly. Bye for now. See you next week.